Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter number 16. I'm sure glad Bev felt uh, well enough to come tonight. She's been wore out and uh, so... Let's see. We got down through verse number 13. We stopped just short of verse number 14. Before I read verse 14, I want to remind you of a comment I made back in verse 10. And I'm going to go back and read that. I'm not going to go through the explanation that I gave where it said a divine sentence is in the lips of the king, his mouth transgresseth not in judgment. And I, I underline and emphasize that word, thee, and stated my case for why I believe that's speaking about a specific king, namely Solomon, the king. Uh, and, and, and I said that because when we get to verse number 14, I want you to notice here it speaks about a king, not any particular king. And so, you know, had this first part uh, in verse number 10, had that been speaking about just any king in general, you know, it, it would, in, in, in the first place, be telling us kings don't make any mistakes. They don't, they don't err in any way in their judgments, and we know that's not true. And so, for that reason, he had to be speaking about himself as the king. But verse 14 says, the wrath of a king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. Now, you know, sometimes it's really hard for us, you know, in our day and age to understand what the world was like way back then. And, you know, I've read book after book after book. I remember there's a a book called The Land in the Bible by a fellow by the name of Thompson that was written many years ago that if you ever find a copy of it, you ought to get it. It was out of print for uh, for many, many years, and every preacher in the nation was trying to get their hands on a copy. And and uh, at one time I had two, but it it was really good because it talked about, you know, the culture and the just the way people lived, the way they operated over there back in those days. And this fellow knew because he had literally, in order to gain this information, had gone over there and lived among the people so he would have firsthand information. And so to understand what he's saying here, we have to uh, realize a little bit what life was like under the ancient uh, uh, monarchs because uh, it was a lot different than our our system today and and uh, our, we think about our court system and how, you know, a trial drags out for months or even for years. But uh, back then it wasn't like that. In those days, the sentence of death was for those that, uh, for those that offended the king came swiftly. I mean, you did something wrong, you died, period. I mean, that was the end of story. Uh, you know, I do think, and, and, and I'm certainly no expert, and I know there are people that are incarcerated that are innocent. 
I don't think there's any doubt about that. And over time, we see that's been proven over and over. And we certainly don't want to execute uh, an innocent person. But when it's obvious someone is guilty, I, I mean, justice ought to be swift. And it was back then. If a person angered the king, and remember, the king is law. It's not a matter of just violating the culture, their tradition, or an established law. It's just displeasing the king. And that person was summoned, and the execution was immediately carried out. In some cases, all it took to provoke the king was to enter into his presence with a gloomy spirit. That's why there wasn't no Baptist back then, you know, but... Uh, but think about living in that kind of a condition that if you just happen to be in the presence of the king. And one of the wonderful things about Nehemiah, you know, the, who was the king's cupbearer, by the way, and uh, that one time as the book starts, and he was he was sorrowful over the condition of his beloved homeland and home city and his people. And the king had never seen him that way before. Wouldn't it be amazing if, you know, if uh, if all of our friends and our family, you know, could say, you know, I, I, I've, 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 I've never seen my husband with a gloomy, sour spirit, you know. <laughs> if anybody here is able to say that honestly, I, I'd, I'd kind of like to know. I, I want the church to call him as pastor because cause I can't I can't do that. I you know, I've I failed many times, but but this is the condition that they were living under. Now, note here's the point. It take me a while to get there, but here's the point. This first clause in this verse is implying how foolish it would be to arouse the king's wrath. I mean, to put your life in jeopardy. And the second clause tells us that it would be the wise thing to pacify the king rather than provoke the king. So what can we learn from this? Because we're not living under those conditions. We're not in that situation. Well, I think we can learn something from it if we put it like this. And that is don't invite trouble into your life. Just don't do it. You're going to have enough trouble without giving it an invitation. Uh, and so there's no need in asking for it. And it's senseless to do something you know that ultimately is going to destroy your life. And listen, those people knew how the kings operated. Uh, and so, you know, for them to violate his will, they know if he catches me, if he sees me, you know, I'm going to be executed. And naturally, there were some that, you know, that uh, violated his law nevertheless. Now, here, here's the point. Whenever we talk about this, stirring up the anger of a king is not the only thing that will jeopardize our lives. Sin, of whatever sort, can lead to destruction. And just as it would have been foolish in those days to provoke the wrath of the king because you are jeopardizing your welfare, your very life, uh, you know, a lot of times whenever, and we knowingly are sinning against the Lord, and, 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 and we do so with, without any thought of what the consequences are going to be. And if we would just stop and think, 
uh, I'm going to bring this up again because I know it's on everybody's minds, and I'm going to, I promise you, as soon as I've got some liberty, I'm going to talk about it, teach about it, and we're going to do it in regards to the matter of the Lord's Supper. And uh, we've never, ever gone this long before. The church isn't falling apart. It's not that we've got a terrible church with an awful bunch of sinners or anything. And, and, and I, 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 can't, I don't know that I can explain how I feel about it other than uh, there's never been a time in my life where for whatever reason God has just stressed it on my heart to such a great extent that whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily, now we're all unworthy, there's a difference, but we partake of it in an unworthily fashion and we have sin in our life. And Paul said, for this cause, some of you are weak and sickly, some of you are sleeping, some of the members, they're dead. It costs them their life. And, and that's how dangerous sin is. And I'm just convinced that the average person nowadays does not comprehend the danger of sin. And so God has a reason for all of this, and I just hope that you'll trust me and it, you know, everything's going to work out you know, just fine. But I'm praying for some people that God will get a hold of their heart and make some changes in their life. Now, verse 15. In the light of the king's countenance is life. And his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. Now this is speaking about the blessings that are afforded by securing the king's favor. You know, that being the case, pleasing those that are in authority would just make good sense, right? But notice here that it makes more than, than good sense. It pleases God. That's the that's the main thing about it. And, and notice he, he says here that getting his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. And he's just that's another way of talking about blessings that are far beyond uh, ordinary and, and far beyond anything that man is able to provide. And can you imagine those people being in dire need of rain and all of the crops have died and the cattle have died and what have you because of a curse of God upon them due to their sin. And by the way, that was one of the main ways that God judged ancient Israel. And then sometimes we act like God's not even in control of the weather nowadays. Well, it just happened You know, no, it didn't just happen because he has his way in the whirlwind. He's controlling all of these things and for some good reason. And uh, gaining his favor is like he's talking about it's like when the latter rains came and all of a sudden you can just envision those people out there dancing in the rain. I mean, you know, they're they're, they're ecstatic because now the, uh, you know, the crops are going to grow and now they're going to be able to prosper. And this is a word picture trying to help us to see uh, the wisdom in pleasing those in authority over us. Verse 16. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather than... uh, and, and understanding rather to be chosen than silver? Well, I think surely all of us would agree that uh, there's no amount of gold and silver that could buy wisdom and understanding. 
And wisdom and understanding can bring prosperity that no amount of money could ever provide. There are a lot of people, you know, that have prospered greatly uh, in material things, Big bank account, big cars, mansions, all of that. All of these Hollywood entertainers and ball players. I was reading one just this last week. Crystal mentioned this person that had won the lottery and now they're broke. And you know, and this was talking about. I think it was a football player that had made millions of dollars. Now he has nothing. He's millions in debt now. You know, and you wonder how that can happen. Well, it just goes to show you if we don't have wisdom and understanding. You know, none of that stuff means anything whatsoever. So don't waste your life in the pursuit of worthless things. Now, don't misunderstand what I just said. Because silver and gold is not necessarily worthless. It can be used for the glory of God just like anything else. And that's why I've often said it's not a sin to be rich. It's a sin to try to be rich and to live just to get gain. But when God prospers a person... There's no sin in that, and we can use what we've got as good stewards, and consequently God is well pleased with that. But in the getting, in the getting of gold and of silver, uh, we're wasting our life on frivolous things if if our primary interest is not in wisdom and understanding. Now, I think everybody would agree that of all the people that you know, you know more people that are more dead set on getting material things than they are in getting wisdom and understanding. I mean, it's really pretty seldom that anybody ever just comes forward with a broken heart during the invitation saying, I'm, I'm just... Pastor, I'm just praying for wisdom. I've got to have wisdom. Life is getting too difficult. My needs are too many. There are people depending on me. I can't do this by myself. I need the wisdom that comes from God. And and, and that that's the Bible over and over talks about that we ought to seek after wisdom like a man seeks after silver and seeks after gold. Something that we seek after. And because, you know, that's... That's the the thing that's most valuable. Now let's look at verse number 17. The highway of the upright uh, is to depart from evil. Uh, He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. You know, if, if I just had to sum all of that up, I'd simply say that God's path never leads to sin. Notice the highway of the upright. The highway of the upright. That is the way they take, the way they travel, the manner in which they live. And those that are upright walk in paths of righteousness and they depart from evil. Well, the sad thing today is we've got a lot of folks that claim to be righteous, you know, just like the Pharisees did. If you didn't think they were righteous, all you had to do was ask them and, boy, they would have told you quickly. You know, they they were very proud of themselves. and you know, They did this and they did that. Man, they had their, their laundry list of uh, religious traditions and things that they did. And, and that was their proof that they, were, that they were righteous as far as they were concerned. And the fact of the matter is uh, they were violating God's law on the right hand and on the left hand and and uh, were corrupt as a result of it. And so 
whenever somebody claims to be upright and yet they stay on the highway of sin, they stay on the path that is obviously contrary to the will of God, you know that what they're saying is not true. You know, it's really easy to talk about, boy, I just love the Lord and I, I'm, I'm going to serve the Lord. And uh, it's another thing, it's another thing for us to put that into action. And people are watching uh, to see what we do. Now, notice the last half of this verse because it's, it's showing the benefits of taking the right road. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. Uh, so the right road leads to safety. In other words, it preserves life. You think about, um, you know, highways. And uh, as most of you know, the, in fact, it was the year Bev and I got married in 1960. And I went to work for the Missouri State Highway Department. And, and one of the, soon after that, one of the main projects was building the highway down to Branson. And there are, huge fields if you've traveled that highway you know what i mean that that's all of that rock that make up the fields rock that was cut out of the out of the hills and so we dynamited the rock out and put it down there and compacted it and built the highway and there's along each side of those fields there are guardrails and those guardrails have saved more than a few lives. There'd be somebody, maybe in bad inclement weather, you know, and uh, be on ice and the car begin to skid and go over and bounce off of that guardrail. And, and if it wasn't for the guardrail, you know, it might be 100 foot down there to the bottom and uh, they'd all die in the crash. And so that guardrail was the means of keeping them safe. Let me tell you, Whenever we think about God's laws, we need to think about them as guardrails for our life. And it's like, you know, many preachers have said, and you've heard it over and over, when God says don't, what he means is don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Don't do that because you're going to be harmed as a result of it. And so the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. Notice, and and he that keepeth his way uh, preserveth his soul so you, this is the safe way you know, I, I, I keep saying over and over God's will is always right it's always right even if it's painful it's right and that's what we ought to do but it's just not right it's best and it's not just best it's the safest route to take it's the safe route now there are other ways to get to Branson you don't have to go down Highway 65, by the way. You know, there are other ways you could get down there if you wanted to, but it wouldn't be near as safe. And if you don't believe that, you can ask Bev. We've, we've had a lot of experience driving those little curvy roads around the Ozark Mountains and what have you. It, it's, uh, it, it just is not a safe place to be driving, especially when you got that big, nice highway. And let me tell you, when you venture off out of the will of God, you're in danger, folks. And, and by the way, so many times whenever we, we talk about something like this, and you know what we think of, first of all? We think of some sin that is a sin of commission. Well, as long as, you know, as long as I'm not doing this or not doing that, I'm okay. But it might be the sin of omission. That can be just as dangerous, not doing what we should. 
and it might be a sin that's not a matter of our actions, but maybe a matter of our attitude, you see. So sin can take many different forms, and all of them are dangerous. And so we need to stay on that straight and narrow way, that uh, the highway of those that are upright. Now, verse number 18 Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, you know, this is, this is one of those verses we could just spend, a, we could spend an hour right here and uh, I'll, I'll try to get through in less than five minutes and go on. But this is so very important. And I say that because the Bible abounds with evidence that this is true. Pride goes before destruction. If you don't believe that, just start through the Bible. Go all the way back. There's Lucifer. Oh, what was it that caused the downfall of Lucifer? Well, it was pride. He, he decided he wanted to be God. He wanted to take God's place, you see. And because of his pride, he was cast out of heaven. And you go on, you think about Pharaoh. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. And it's like Pharaoh, you know, saying basically, you know, wait a minute, I'm the king here. I'm the one that's going to decide what happens and what doesn't happen. And because of of his pride, well, you know the story, all of the plagues that came upon him. And uh, there's really an interesting message there toward the end, even when when he finally decides, okay, you know... (laughs) God is tearing us apart, and boy, I've got to, I've got to get these people out of here. And he offers three different compromises before he ever gets down to finally saying, "Go, go, get out of here." And in fact, if you'll go, we'll give you, we'll give you uh, our things, and literally gave them their, their gold and silver in order to get them out of Dodge and get them uh, out of their way. Uh, but ultimately, it destroyed him. There's Haman. And you remember that he's the one that built the gallows for Mordecai. And uh, he's going to get rid of those Jews. He hated them and despised them. And it was because of his pride that brought him down. There's Nebuchadnezzar. And, and on and on and on the list goes. And, and the fact of the matter is pride plays a much larger factor in our lives than what we might think. And usually, whenever we think about our sin, if we think about it long enough and really examine it, you'll find that in some way or another that pride is at the root of it. I've heard preachers say, you know, pride is the root of all sin. Well, it's associated with it in some way. There's no doubt about that because in the first place... Pride is saying, I can live independent of God. I don't need God telling me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing. That's just stupid, foolish pride whenever we decide that we're going to go contrary to the ways of God. And so uh, so it, 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 it's really foolish. Uh, and, and it's sheer folly in another sense, too. Not only is it foolish in the devastation that it causes, but it's foolish from the deception that it displays. And by that I mean when you stop and think about it, what what do any of us have to be proud of? Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. We're just sinners saved by grace. 
we're vile, filthy, undeserving sinners. And uh, uh, Tim uh, sent me a message today wanting me to listen to a song that says, uh, I think the title of it was, You Don't Know Me, You Don't Know Me. How many of you ever heard that song? Nobody, You Don't Owe Me. And uh, you you might want to Google that and listen to it. It's got a great message. This fellow's name was Camp, was it? Phil Cross. Phil Cross. And uh, speaking, you know, in regards to God that you don't know me. And, well, uh, when you get right down to it, folks, God doesn't owe us anything whatsoever. Everything we have is the result of God's grace. So if I can't do anything to earn God's favor, I, I don't have anything to boast about. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's like him saying, I don't have anything to brag about except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Verse 19, Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Now, for those, we get some young people here, and, and I say this just by way of explanation. I'm, I don't want you to think I'm presuming on your ignorance. Whenever you see that word spoil, it's interesting because in those days, whenever you know, one nation would go in and conquer another nation, and the spoils were all of the things left over. I mean, they'd drive a, a nation out. I mean, man, the, the tents would still be standing maybe. And, and they left their gold and their silver behind, their food behind, everything. They had, they had to flee for their lives. And this, these were the spoils of war. And, and so, you know, whenever you thought about winning a battle against another nation, uh, there was uh, prosperity in that because you received what you took from them. But notice what he says that it's better to be of a humble spirit with those that are lowly than to divide all of the spoils with the proud. You know, it's another way of saying humility is a lot better than wealth. And so so many times we, you know, see these professional athletes and what have you and acting like they're just, wow. King James... Are you kidding me? You're not even Michael Jordan, dude. You know, but I won't go there. That maybe you think he's better. I, I don't know. But there's just something about you know taking that name to yourself, and and promoting yourself. Whether listen, I, I, and the same thing's true whether you're on the baseball field, the football field, the entertainment stage, or the pulpit, or wherever you are. That proud spirit is something that we ought to despise, and it's a, it's a lot better to be meek and lowly than it is to even have great wealth. All of their fame, look, you've got something that is worth far more than the most lucrative professional contract that anybody has. If you've got an humble and meek spirit, you're more wealthy than those people are. Well, verse 20 I think we're going to end here because this, in fact, uh, 
most of you remember every year for several years there we always had a always had a a verse that we adopted as our motto for that particular year i think this is maybe the only only verse that we use more than one year and uh, it says he that handleth the matter wisely shall find good and whoso trusteth in the lord happy is he charles bridges who i think wrote the best commentary on proverbs of anyone said two things are needed for the success of a matter wisdom and faith wisdom and faith and no, and notice let me read that again and think about what he said the two things essential for success is wisdom and faith he that handleth the matter wisely there you have the wisdom and what happens you'll find good and whoso trusteth in the lord there you have your faith and what and happy is he you know it was for a good reason that that Solomon made this ob- observation here and uh, speak about wisdom, and we all know how that relates to Solomon. Uh, but when you think about wisdom, it shows us what we should do, and faith depends upon what God can do. So wisdom is my ability to see what I ought to do and how I ought to do it. But wisdom also tells me that I have my limitations. And that's where faith comes into the picture because there are some things that God expects us to do, uh, things that God will not do for, for us, and there are some things that only God can do. And that's why we have to live by faith. The fact of the matter is, you know, we don't always handle matters wisely, do we? And and what happens? Well, we end up getting hurt. He's telling us, you know, here in our text, if we handle matters wisely, shall find good. I I think all of us, you know, if if we just took a survey and said, uh, you know, what 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 do you prefer, good or bad in your life? Well, we'd all vote for good. That's what we want. Well, whenever we handle matters wisely, I remember preaching a message from this and talking about this and, and, and emphasizing that word matters matters all, all of the different all of the different possibilities and if we handle matters and both sometimes the different matters come up in our life you know situations that we've got to deal with and uh, a lot of times we just make a mess out of it and if we would handle it wisely we would find good and you can't think of this without thinking of Joseph, right? Well, what a remarkable man Joseph was. To think about all that he went through, the injustice against him. And, you know, so many times, we, and, and uh, you know, I, I'm tempted to do the same thing like anybody. You know, whenever somebody neglects you or abuses you or embarrasses you or hurts you in some way, you know, you might not retaliate, but, boy, it can sure give you a foul spirit. It can sure give you, you know, a critical spirit that just it just gets you down in the dumps. It affects the decisions that you make. 
And I, I, I don't know that any of us have really gone through what Joseph went through there and the great harm that he suffered and imprisoned in a far country, falsely accused. And, and in all of that, in all of that, he behaved himself wisely, and the result of that was that God was able to use him greatly. So there is a perfect picture of what this verse is talking about. And, and, and I'll bet you we can all think of some situation where we look back on it and think, you know, <laughs> I could have handled that better. Boy, I've got a long list of those things. And, you know, some of them, a lot of them, most of them happened the first year that I was trying to be a pastor. And I didn't always handle things uh, as I should. Uh, as some that are more recent, and uh, and I'm not going to elaborate, and I won't answer if you ask me afterwards or anything else. But I mean, I I've, I can I've even uh, there, there Bev's the only one knows what I'm talking about. Uh, I can go home and uh, and I've got evidence that I've not even even as a pastor of nearly 50 years I don't always handle things as wisely as I should I mean I boy I can be really stupid sometimes and you know it's no excuse but the fact of the matter is we all act out of character sometimes but here's what we got to remember when we do that what issues from it is is never good. It's bad. And it's when we handle a matter, whatever the matter is, doesn't make any difference. When we handle a matter wisely, we're going to find good. Well, okay, good's one thing. I love good. That's great. I want all of the good I can get. But I'd kind of like to be happy too. How about that? Uh, I, I'm all for happiness. That's... Uh, if you had $10 million and you're not happy, that that wouldn't mean a thing in the world. Well, if you want happiness, notice, whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. You know, the great thing about this is because we all want happiness and the Bible is telling us exactly how we can get it by trusting in the Lord and no doubt we can all think of different times in our life where we, if we're honest, we have to confess, you know, my faith is just not as strong as it ought to be. Anybody else ever have that problem? I mean, do they, we all do, don't we? Well, no need in beating around the bush. We're up against something and we, our faith just isn't as strong as it ought to be. And the wonderful thing about it, that faith that brings happiness into your life, where does it come from? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, that's one thing we can do something about. We don't have to live without faith. Now, now think about that. Put it together. If we don't have to live without faith, if that's something we can do something about, then we don't have to live unhappy. If I'm unhappy, I don't have anybody to blame but myself. I can't blame my wife. And say, well, the eggs wasn't right, you know, so I'm unhappy today. I, you know, uh, I can't blame her. I can't blame my kids, you know, just because they don't do right. I, I can't say, well, my kids aren't doing this and are not doing that, so I'm not going to be happy. I've got only one person to blame for my unhappiness, and that's me. 
because that's a choice that I make, and it's something that I can do something about. So I, I hope when you all leave here that you're good and happy all week long. Thank you so much for being here, and, and, I, and I just hope that uh, something that's been said will be a blessing uh, to your heart and a help to your life.